Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? I was so excited when my next guest said yes to a conversation with me about her adoption experience because she's young enough to be my granddaughter, if I were a grandmother at a very early age. Her name is Sydney Parkhurst, and she is a transracial adoptee, college student, and adoptee advocate. From her website, she states, Transracial adoption is not a topic that is talked about very often, and not many people even know what it is. I plan to spread awareness to the subject through social media platforms. My life as an adoptee has not been easy, but I have also been blessed with opportunities that may have not happened if I wasn't adopted. I hope that I can inspire others with the knowledge of transracial adoption and my passion for change. During this episode, you will have the opportunity to hear from a younger generation. At times in Sydney's story, it will be reminiscent of a closed system in the 1960s, the era of sealed records, a closed adoption system that still remains in places like the state of Georgia, which causes an adoptee to only wonder about the introduction followed by chapter one of their life. Sydney shares when she first heard the term transracial adoptee and realized that it applied to her. She has recently become involved with the adoption community and makes it clear how that has been a most rewarding experience already. Allow me to introduce you to a most talented young woman taking a very public approach early in life of her journey. She is my youngest guest so far, and what a privilege to give her an opportunity to be on this platform. I'm absolutely thrilled that she was more than willing to first tell a part of her story on here. Well, Sydney, I'm so glad you're taking this opportunity to talk to me. Tell the listening audience how old you are. Yeah, so I am 21. I was born March 10th, 2000. That's young. I'm so like I'm so excited to to be able to talk with you because I don't get the chance to talk with adoptees that are your age. So I just really appreciate this. I know you're a transracial adoptee. So tell us your story from wherever you want to start and however much you want to tell us. Yeah, of course. So I was born in Rome, Georgia. I went to a caring home and then I was adopted by a couple who decided they couldn't take care of me. And then when I was about a month old, my parents now came and got me and adopted me. We lived in Atlanta for two years. And then my younger sister, who's two years um, younger than me, she was born in Florida, Georgia. 
And then we moved to Rhode Island, and I've been living there ever since. So Rome is not far from Atlanta. I don't think so, no. (laughs) Okay. And is your sibling, you said she's younger than you. Is she adopted? Yes. Yep, she's two years younger than me. Um, She was also adopted. Okay. And, yep. Your adoption, was it uh, a closed adoption? It was, yes. Okay. So that means that you really didn't have any information like your birth mom's name or your birth father's identity. Right. So pretty much all we have and all I've pretty much been told uh, since I was young is that my birth mom, she signed the papers, didn't really say much about my dad, if anything at all, and just kind of left. So she kind of left a little bit of information. She said that I had a uncle and a grandfather, or her grandfather she wasn't really that close with, and then her uncle she was a little closer with, but she's definitely had some issues there. Mm-hmm. And your birth mom is white, correct? Yes. And your birth father's black? Yes. Okay. And mm-hmm. so you, uh, you've always known, obviously, that you were adopted, uh, but there was, a, I think, a time where you weren't sure what your ethnicity was. Is that correct? Yes. So I pretty much always knew my sister and I um, were adopted. We always used to joke around because when we were really young, people used to call us twins. But we always used to kind of like joke around being like, oh, yeah, but what if they got it wrong? (laughs) What if um, we actually were sisters in real life? Mm -hmm. But so we kind of always knew from a young age that we were adopted. But then as we got older and I started to realize that I didn't really look like anyone else in my family or like my sister anymore, I really started to question what I was and my parents had no idea I had no idea when I was younger I I had this really curly hair and it really bugged me mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout school and um, as I was growing up people when I was got older and went into started working and stuff like that people would come up to me and speak Spanish and I was like uh nope <laughs> I don't speak Spanish <laughs> Things like that would happen to me. So I was was questioning, like, am I black? Am I Puerto Rican? Like, what am I? And I knew that I would never really know until I took a DNA test. And I took it my senior year of high school. So that's kind of when I found out that I was half black. So your adoptive parents did not know? No. Nope. So they had no idea. They had a, one of the, the agency had told them that I might be biracial, but they weren't certain. Mhm. Now does Georgia do they allow you to do, do they allow adoptees to see their original birth certificates? I'm not really sure. I think for me I kind of never really thought about my original birth certificate. I never really had like I thought that that was like significant or really knew what it was until I started like getting into the adoptee world and realizing that it was kind of a big thing for adoptees. Mhm. Um so I've never really thought about it so until, like, recently. So mm-hmm. I haven't seen my birth certificate. But you're most interested in seeing it, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you take this DNA test, 23andMe, that was last year. And what, what happens when you take it? I took it my senior year of high school. So that was almost four years ago, I think. Oh, okay. But So I took it, and I kind of... 
put it away. <laughs> um, I didn't really want to think about it that much. I think I had so much going on at the time. I was really into sports, and that was kind of my whole life for a very long time. So I kind of had something to fall back on and like busy myself. And then recently, so the start of the coronavirus, I had someone reach out to me on Instagram through DM. And she was like, hey, I know this might be a little weird, but I think I'm your half sister through 23andMe. Mm. I was obviously shocked. I never really thought that I would be able to find my family. Right. So what did you say when when she said that? (laughs) I think I waited a little bit to respond, but I was very excited and very uh, nervous almost too, because I think I knew that it would unlock a whole bunch of history that I wasn't. I mean, I guess I was ready for it, but at the same time, I was very nervous to kind of have everything unlocked at once. Yeah. And so she reached out and we were talking. She definitely knew more about my birth family than I did. Mm-hmm. And it was really good. We had a very long talk. I learned a lot. That was when kind of I started to embrace who I was, I guess, because mm-hmm. I had time at the start of the coronavirus to sit down and not be as busy as I was before. I started to really think about like being adopted and my birth family and everything. And I started to look up like YouTube videos and stuff about how to do my hair, (laughs) which I had literally had in a bun for most of my life or had it like chemically straightened or cut off and like just tried to make it as normal as possible Mm. because I grew up in a pretty white community. That's interesting yeah. that you would say try to make it as normal as possible because yeah. you know I had an opportunity to go to your website, your beautiful website, and you t- you've done a video about the whole hair experience, which is mm-hmm. pretty big deal in the black community, right? Especially when you're around people as you have been whose hair is straight. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I definitely, I definitely had bit of an identity crisis when I was younger for so long. I think it literally lasted up until these past few years because I just, I wanted my hair to be normal. I wanted to be, I wanted it to be like everyone else's around right, me. Right. Describe for me growing up, You, I'm just picturing that you're doing a lot of activities that are white because that's who you're around. Are you mm-hmm. able to do activities or learn the culture, we'll say, of non-white people um no okay (laughs) so I grew up in Barrington Rhode Island it's like 94.7% white (laughs) um probably probably more than that when I was growing up but so everyone I didn't really have many people that looked like me Mm -hmm. um growing up and also didn't really help that I didn't know what I was right so there was instances where like when I was really young parents people would come or black people would come up to my mom and be like you're doing your hair wrong and stuff like that and she'd be like I'm sorry like (laughs) I don't know how to do it Mm. um growing up I would always I remember being in class surrounded by like a bunch of other white kids and we would be watching like a movie about slavery and I would always be so self-conscious about like are they looking at me like do they think I'm black like should I even be feeling this way because do I even know that I'm black so there's instances where that um, definitely affected me when I was growing up. But I think sports were definitely my outlet. I was always pretty good at them. I played hockey and softball up until college. So that kind of got me away from 
like thinking about because all I had to do was play and mm. be my best. It didn't matter how I looked or anything. I just had to play and <laughs> do well. I'm glad um, you shared that because the tools that come up a lot are writing, music, mm-hmm. and and I can see where sports would be another tool for adoptees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think writing for me also was definitely something that I, I've been doing for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I definitely had that. I was very shy when I was younger. <laughs> um, so I think sports were my outlet for everything, like getting friends and stuff like that. So it's definitely helped me in a lot of ways. But interesting that you mentioned the culture thing, because I remember my first in the fall of coming to the University of Tampa, there was a black student union that was going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was like a little club that they had outside and you could sign up. And I was walking by and one of the black kids was like, hey, and like, looked at me and he's like hey come join the black student union <laughs> and i like walked over and i was like i was thinking in my head i was like do they think that i'm black like, <laughs> like and i knew i was black at the time but i was like right. that's so interesting that they just called me out and they didn't even know i was yes. black but, um yes. and so i remember i went to one of the meetings and one of the questions that they asked was what's your favorite black movie mm-hmm. and i was like Oh God, <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Right, like, I I've been I've grown up on white um, movies my whole life. Like, yeah, I don't really I'm not very culturally like integrated into this lifestyle, so I don't really know what <laughs> the answer was. Right. Um. So yeah, I think there's definitely that cultural background that I've lost, I guess, from being adopted. Yeah. And also from not enough, not knowing until literally my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And that um, it sounds like that organization is something you are going to stay connected to. Yes, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I went to college, I remember and, and I I'm same race adoptee. So my parents, mm-hmm. both parents are black. So I never missed a beat with the, the black culture. Mm-hmm. But I remember one of the first things I did when I was a freshman is to join the, they, it was the BSOC, Black Students on Campus, and that organization get, was everything. So I can only imagine how staying connected to the organization at the University of Tampa, how that is going to enrich your life. Right, definitely. And I think also, like, it's interesting, too, because, like, people look at me and they're like, you're not white. And then people look at me and they're like, but you're not, like, you're lighter skin than like black. Right. So I could kind of go either way, which right. is interesting. Yeah, that is. It made me feel really good though, you explaining someone coming up to you from the black organization mm-hmm. and recognizing you as black. I can only yeah. imagine how that must have felt because now at that time you knew you were biracial. Right, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely been. I think there's definitely been instances where, like, I, I think after these couple of years um, of me kind of figuring out about being transracially adopted and stuff like that, um, my family has slowly started to kind of realize what it means to me and, like, kind of, like, how they could have done things differently, which I don't, I mean, it's hard for me to really, like, blame them for anything because they are my parents and I love them right. and stuff like that. But there are definitely things that I think need to be put out there and so that like things like this don't don't happen in the future and like 
they need to be a little bit more educated if you are transracially adopting and stuff like that. So that's one of the things I've definitely been learning over the past year. Absolutely. Yeah. And you taking the time and and being courageous enough to be public here on this podcast or anywhere else for that matter is uh, allowing that to happen for education to adoptive parents who have transracial adopted children. Like this Mm -hmm. is the big stuff and it's bigger than hair. It is um, the culture I've I've heard transracial adoptees say it was not until they went away to school, 18, 19, that they started to learn about their culture. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty big deal. And so what do you think is, I guess, the thing that sparked your interest in getting connected to the adoption community? Yeah, so last fall, I was writing an essay for one of my classes in college and it was like a research essay and we could literally do it about anything and I was like okay I'll just do it about adoption (laughs) I know about adoption I'm adopted it'll be an easy (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I started researching and I was like wait what is this word transracial like Mm. transracial adoption and that was the first time like I remember I was just I spent hours just researching what it was and I was like, oh, my God, this is literally who I am. And there's a whole bunch of other people out there like me Mm -hmm. um, who have gone through some of the things that I've gone through. So that was kind of how I was introduced into it. And then my professor came up to me afterwards after I'd written the essay. And she was like, hey, there's this grant, this research grant that we do every summer. Would you like to do it Uh, or apply for it? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, I want to keep on researching and. I became like obsessed with like kind of just figuring out how I stood on the whole subject and stuff like that. That's kind of what brings me to this summer because I'm at the University of Tampa right now doing this research grant. And my first part of my research is I'm going to be continuing continuing my essay and making it into an autoethnography, which is basically where I like take my own personal story and then like integrate research into it. So that's what I'm doing for the first part of my research. And then the second part, I'm going to be uh, creating a YouTube channel. And that's where I uh, interview other transracial adoptees. That is fantastic. And, you know, we had an opportunity to see your trailer for Mm -hmm. what you're working on. And it is just amazing. Um, You are so talented. And I'm just going to say it now. I'm going to have to have you back on when... (laughs) If you will, if you will come on after you have completed it. Of course. Yeah, I'd love to. So I'm excited about that. And and I think that there are unique challenges as a transracial adoptee. And you've already shared some of them. Are there any that maybe you want to share that I that I haven't thought of or I don't know about? Well, one thing I think this just kind of popped into my mind as I was thinking, but I remember this was a couple of months ago. I was sitting at a diner with my Nana, who is white on my adopted side. We were sitting there eating. And then one of her friends comes over and was like, Hey, like, how are you? And then looked at me and he was like, what are you? And I get this question all the time. I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm biracial. I'm half black, half white. And afterwards, my Nana 
looked at him. She's like, you, you didn't have to, like, she's like, why did he ask you that? I was like, yeah, I, I get it all the time. Like, it's mm. not, it's not that big of a deal. But she kept on just insisting, like, that, like, it was wrong and that he shouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. And then she was saying, she's like, yeah, but you, you look white. She's like, you are white. And I was like, Nana, no. Right. <laughs> like, like, I'm, I'm black. Like, I'm half black. And so I think she kept on just insisting. She's like, no, but you like, you look like you're white. So that's like, that's what you should have said. Mm. And I was like, Nana, <laughs> no, like, and I don't, I think at the time I didn't really know why I was so insistent of like, just telling her that I didn't, I wasn't like white, right. but I think I really like, I think I wanted to embrace who I was at the time and I still do. And I right. think I knew that I was black and I think that she, if she hadn't really accepted it yet. Right. In her that is really uh, interesting. I'm glad you shared that because mm-hmm. that sounds like within your own family, there may be uh, disagreements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love my Nana so much. Like, oh, I, yeah. I would never, ever. Yeah. But I think it is hard for a lot of people to kind of like accept the way that you see yourself sometimes. Right. When they've only known you as one way. And exactly. I and then um, she knows you as just being belonging yeah Yeah, like yeah yeah, belonging in this family yeah that that's a powerful example of um a challenge and even the person who i'm sure meant no harm uh and like you say Mm -hmm. you get it all the time what are you that makes me cringe because like Mm -hmm. yeah i that's not my experience with my black family my adopted family the family i grew up with I fit in, you know, so nobody's right. going to look at me and say when I'm sitting with them, what are you? Right. And I think even having to entertain that question, which is maybe where your Nana was coming from, she just resented you being asked that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think for so, like even my parents too, I think for so long, it's it's hard for them to kind of, right now it's definitely like they completely accept who I am and stuff like that. But I think we talk about like colorblindness and I think that was definitely something that happened, whether they realized it or not. And I think it was 100% out of love Mm -hmm. where they were just trying to act They're They're trying to make me feel like I was theirs. Like they, like I was just like a kid that they loved. Yeah. It didn't really matter what I looked like. Yeah. And I completely get where they're coming from. I completely get like why they did what they did. But also at the same time, I think they're learning that differences are very important. I think that especially for an adoptee who's not like a transracial adoptee, it is important to recognize those differences and kind of acknowledge them so that the adoptee doesn't feel like they're out of place and not acknowledged. I do too. Yeah, I don't uh, sign on to colorblindness. And I I understand, like you say, where it maybe coming from to see it that way Mm -hmm. Uh, but I don't subscribe to it either because we want to we don't ever want to suggest that the difference is there's something wrong and by ignoring them it implies that right right yeah oh this has been great and you know like when you reached out to me and said yeah I'll do a conversation uh (laughs) reach back out to me I was just thrilled because I'm (laughs) like yeah because I'm 57 okay so you could be my granddaughter actually if I started (laughs) really young you know so I um 
I just appreciate the conversation because there's so much I don't know. And Mm -hmm. I've been connected to the adoption community for a while, but I'm still learning. And I'm certainly learning from the younger generation because your experience is a lot different based on the times, like where we are now. And Mm -hmm. for you to be doing a project, I have a grant to do it. Like, I just know it's going to be awesome and life changing for a lot of people, uh, your generation and beyond. So a Adoptive parents, I think they're they're learning and they're grasping, okay, yeah, maybe we need to look at this a little different if we're going to have a transracial adoptee as mm-hmm. our child. And hopefully we'll listen to you and others who know it's your lived experience of maybe what could have been done better. Yes, definitely. I think it's, it's definitely a learning process. And for me, like, I literally didn't know any of the, like, I didn't right. know anything about the community until like a year or two ago. So it's definitely been a learning process for me as well. And I'm excited to start doing this research and doing these interviews and stuff like that. And also just talking to you. I think being on this podcast is definitely I was something I was very excited about. Oh, I'm so, so glad. I'm glad. I didn't think anybody could be more excited than me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so what would you say is the most rewarding thing about being a part of the adoption community? Exactly. I think we can relate on so many things and it's good to hear other people's stories, too. Mm -hmm. Well, we can wrap it up. And if there's anything I didn't ask you that you want to leave for the adoption community, specifically transracial adoptees, I would appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So I think kind of what I like to say a lot like for me personally it was so hard for me to fit in I think the world kind of perceives it in that way where you have to fit in with everyone else but I think in a world where you're it seems like you should fit in you're actually born to stand out so that's kind of what I always say and yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's kind of what I have to leave but yeah thank you so much for having me seriously I had a lot of fun thank you Sydney At this time, adult adoptees in the state of Georgia have not been given a civil and human right to obtain their original birth certificates. A court order is required. It is my hope that Sydney will, in the near future, be able to obtain that document about her. On another note, Sydney is making big moves in the adoption community with only two decades of life experience. She is taking a proactive position toward being an added value in adoption-related spaces. I look forward to hearing more about her grant-funded project to interview other transracial adoptees to shed a light on their experience. I encourage you to go to her website, sydneyparkhurst.com. On there, she says, you were born to stand out. She has a blog and the trailer for her project, Black Blood, Be sure and watch her video about hair entitled Curls. It's so well done. Her personality is warm, gentle, and loving when it comes to the older generation, specifically her Nana, who simply have their way of looking at the subject of adoption. I believe things are changing as adoptees speak up, speak out, and tell what issues they face, especially as a black child brought up with family members with another ethnicity. 
Thank you, Sydney, for taking the time between college courses, work on your grant-funded project, and of course, being a beautiful young woman, to have a conversation with me. I was honored that you created the time for this, and I enjoyed learning more about you as a younger adoptee discovering your racial identity. I'm particularly struck by how Black students on your campus engage with you as if they knew you were one of them and immediately included you in their group. I look forward to having you back on the podcast to follow up with you about your project, Black Blood, to bring awareness to the subject of adoption from the perspective of a transracial adoptee. You rock and are magic. I'm so glad our paths cross this year. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review, subscribe, or give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so others can find it too. During the course of your day, be sure and tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it. Remember to share this podcast on social media to spread the word. Hashtag Adoptee Land. Thank you for being here.